This is the Culture Matters Podcast. Hello, Culture Matters Podcast. Today, I am very excited to introduce you to our guest. Before I do that, I want to share with you a quote I picked just special for our conversation today. Here it is. Trust is the glue of life. It's the most essential ingredient in effective communication. It's the foundational principle that holds all relationships. Stephen R. Covey. See, we believe here at Culture Matters that when people read to think, write to develop, listen to hear what is unsaid, and speak to let go, they develop more value for themselves and others. So our purpose of this podcast is to uncover the genius of our guests with the goal to make you, the listener, your curiosity cool. Because our vision is that human culture is open, curious, and focused on creating the future. So our mission is to read, write, listen, and speak every day. I'm very excited to introduce you to the super coach, America's coach, Coach Michael Burt, founder of Michael Burt Enterprises, founder of The Greatness Factory, founder of Monster Producer, author of 14 plus books, and a man who started his coaching journey as a young teenager, 15 years old, and worked his way up in the sports coaching industry to actually be the head coach of a basketball team at the end of his career prior to retirement with a 74% win-loss ratio, four conferences, one to my knowledge, state championships, and is an educated man, master's in education and administration. There's so much to say. And a loved man in the personal development industry Coach Michael Burt, thank you so much for doing this. And prior to our interview today, I just listened to you, which I love. It wasn't some narrator or something. It was your voice on Everybody Needs a Coach. Thank you for your new, one of your newer books. Thank you for yeah. doing this today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, man. I, I believe that culture does matter. I believe that trust is, is the one thing that affects everything. So thank you for having me. And I look forward to a great interview. Around 18, you said that you stumbled across a book, Seven Highly Effective Habits. How did you come across that book? Did a mentor sit you down? Like at one point in my life, someone said, slap me in the face and gave me a bunch of books. Or was it an experience that led to that? What, how did that come about for you, for you to be touched by that book? Yeah, I was a young coach, a young basketball coach at the time, and I used to go to these free coaching clinics put on by by one of my mentors named Don Meyer. <clears throat> and Don would put on these coaching clinics at David Lipscomb University in Nashville, and he'd have six or 700 coaches. And, and I was this young coach, and everything Don Meyer said, I did. So I went to this workshop, and, and he said, if you don't pick up another book this year, pick up a copy of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And while you're at it, pick up first things first. And so I go to the, the library. I had never read a personal development book at that time, to my knowledge, to, that I remember. And um, I read that book and it changed my life. And I said, if these are habits of highly successful people, this is what I need to be doing. Okay. This, this is what this is. This is if these are habits of most successful people on planet Earth, these are the habits I need to know. So I did a deep study of those habits, began to know those habits, began to teach those habits. Then I made up my mind I was going to teach those habits to every player that I coached. And that became kind of a bedrock or cornerstone of people playing for me. What was your approach with the book? Did you take notes on it? Did you like, what's your process when you were attempting to teach yourself that information? Well, I believe in, in the two person theory, meaning learn something and teach it to two other people, because when you teach it to other people, you learn it. So on any book that I read, I take extensive notes. I go back and reread. I then go back and typically put it into something like I throw a wrinkle into how I'm teaching or coaching, but 
my whole philosophy was learn it and teach it, learn it and teach it. And, and the more you teach it, the more you learn it. Right. Did that, was that philosophy ingrained in you even prior to that book? No, that book actually talks about that theory. And, you know, so when I, when, you know, this has been, I don't know, 25 years ago, when I started thinking about this, how much of an impact that book had on every part of my thought process, like the whole person theory is in that book, which says people are made up of four parts, a body, a mind, a heart, and a spirit. Each of those parts produce different needs, different intelligences, different capacities. And, um, I use that theory today in my business coaching. Wow. I use it throughout my whole athletics. So that that work deeply impacted my life. So I owe a great deal of my success to that one man, Dr. Stephen Covey. He's an amazing man. Yes. If we were to break down some of the foundational principles of how you teach now, what does that look like? How I teach now is is very systematic. There's a deep methodology, and that methodology comes from my work with Covey, my work studying Covey. So I go to work on the whole person theory, body, mind, heart, and spirit, all four parts of a person's nature. When I'm coaching a business, I have five areas that I focus on with every business. Does not matter what the business is. Okay. I focus on activation of prey drive within the people. I focus on how they explain their services at a world-class level. I focus on how they generate leads through a selling system. I focus on how they follow up, how they extract referral, and ultimately how they become people of interest. And that model is the model I use with a a, a single person entity, a solopreneur, all the way up to a multi-billion dollar company. So does it start with, does it start with first the mind or the body or how do you proceed? Okay. So think about this as an integration. All right. So today I want to tap into all four parts of my nature. Like we can't have a conversation and, and, and I can't say, well, Jay, let's talk about your potential but let's not talk about it in all parts of your nature. Like, like to really reach your potential or self-actualize, you need to be clicking on all four parts. The body, that's physical. The mind, that's mental. The heart, that's emotional. The spirit, that's spiritual. Those are four different dimensions to your nature. So, so what, if you're, what if you're clicking in the body, but you're not clicking in the mind? Or you're clicking in the mind, you're not clicking in the spirit. You know, that's how we need to be thinking mm. is I need to work on all four parts of my nature. Now, you asked me about coaching models. Um, And when it comes to the coaching model, I'm looking at a person going, what does this person need? Do they need knowledge? Do they need skill? Do they need desire? Or do they need confidence? See, knowledge for the mind, skill for the body, desire for the heart, confidence for the spirit. That helps me to diagnose where a person has a missing structure and how I can help fill that structure. When were you using this in your when you started when you were the head coach of a basketball team? Absolutely. And this, this, this one thing gave me help build what I would call a competitive intelligence in my players. This is why I started writing books. I had no intention of writing books. I had no intention to coach a business people. I literally just wanted to win championships and then go to college and be a college basketball coach. But when I started using this whole person theory and teaching the kids the seven habits, they started playing and winning. And the more we won, the more people wanted to know what are we doing? And because so many people wanted to know, I'd begin just talking about it to people. Like people were asking me, how are you doing it? So then I began writing books about it. And that, that really started my, my journey into personal development or business coaching for companies. Your, your first book was around 25. What, which one was that? That one was called Changing Lives Through Coaching. It was a small book. We don't even sell it today. Um, it was an okay book, but at 25, I didn't have a lot to say. <laughs> so, so it was a good start. I tell, I tell a lot of people, your first book may suck, right? Are you opening up again? I want to buy it. <laughs> no, I don't even know. We don't even have any copies here. Like the first two books I wrote, 
The third one was this ain't no practice life. And we do have copies of that one, but we don't even have copies of the first two books that I wrote. What was it like writing that first book and you're, you're, you're leading this, the, this team to great success at time, correct? Yes. And your intention is to teach and share what you, what you have, what you know, yeah. writing has become so prevalent now today, self-authoring, developing content literature. What was your journey like at that time? Cause it's a I really did. generation now. Yeah, I really didn't know what I was doing, Jay, to be honest with you. I just knew because I was a young coach, I was 25. I actually started coaching when I was 15. I was a head coach at 18. Yeah. Uh, so in my mind, I had been coaching for 10 years. Okay. And so my thought process was, why don't I write a book for young coaches? And the book was, you can, I believe you can change a person's life through, through the coaching process. Now, many years later, that small book, which was my seminal philosophy, would become the, the genesis of the book you just listened to, Everybody Needs a Coach in Life, which is which has come full circle, you know, 10 to 15 years later of my true philosophy. That's what I wanted to say at 25, but I just wasn't exposed to enough thinking at that time. Wow. So the book you just listened to really started 15 years ago when I wrote the first book, Changing Lives Through Coaching, or 15 books ago when I wrote Changing Lives Through Coaching. It just matured and materialized and manifested more, uh, you know, at, at, uh, 40 something years old. Is that surreal? Yes. But, but, but that's my basic philosophy. Like, like Covey had, you know, you look at any big time person, they have their basic philosophy. My yeah. Covey had the seven habits. Collins had good to great. Cardone has 10 X. My let has max out. Like, like my, my philosophy is everybody needs a coach in their life. Tim story. Yeah. I'm about to do something with him in a minute. He, he has setbacks to come back. So when you think about it, everybody's got their, their core philosophy of what they believe in. And here's what a lot of people don't understand. Big time people don't change their philosophy. They may get new information, but, but at the core for the last 15 to 20 years, I've been coaching people on this concept that with a coach in your life, you will perform at a higher frequency. You will stay in an offensive mindset. Your confidence will be higher. You will produce more. And that, that's been my theme my whole life. Was there a time where you weren't uh, open to change? Well, I think, I think, yes, there's been times in my life I've been prideful, stubborn, not open. If you study my personality style, I'm very dominant, very driven. Um, I'm, I'm going through a new process right now on what got you here won't get you there with Marshall Goldsmith, who's an executive coach. And, and he and I are looking at doing an event together later this year. And as I've been rereading his book, because that book is for successful people, <laughs> and, and, and basically really? – yeah, the, the book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There, is for ex successful CEOs who have had a lot of success. And because of this, they, they are prohibiting their own self from going to a higher frequency by some How of their own thoughts. Thank you. How often do you see that? And you're, you're one of the most networked, connected, hard. Like, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm perceiving you from the outside. You're everywhere all at once. Yep. Grant would say omnipresent or something, I'm sure. Like, do you see that a lot? I see it every day. Yeah, yeah, like that. That I see every day, you know, there's a problem with success. And the problem with success is it, is it can breed uh, stubbornness. It can breed pridefulness. It can breed a ceiling. And, and so let's say a person makes a million dollars a year and you want to help them make $5 million a year. Well, in their mind, they may say, look, I'm making a million dollars a year. Like, why would I need to? get any better, right? Like I had an insurance CEO tell me once, like we're growing at like 287% organically. Why would I need a coach? Well, 
could you be growing at 500% a year? You know, do you think the truly great people in the world that are doing big things would ever say they didn't need a coach in their life? I mean, I mean, I, I look at athletes. Yeah. Look at entertainers. Look at, look at artists. All of those people have somebody pushing and challenging and coaching. Look at professional fighters. Look at boxers. Look at, I mean, it's, it's foolish for business people to believe, no, I don't need, I don't need a person in my life. Now, it is true that, um, you know, if, if I'm at a certain level and I'm trying to coach a person at a higher level than me, they may say, well, what's this kid going to teach me because I'm doing this and he's doing this. And there's some validity to that. But, but I tell people, if you're a business person and you're not earning a million dollars a year personally, then, then there's still, there's still a lot for you to learn, right? Like there's still a lot to know. Uh, So that's just the barometer that I use. If you're earning a million dollars a year personally, that's a good, that's a good amount, but could you be earning 10 million? Or could you be earning 20 million? Or could you be impacting more people? Or could you play at a higher frequency? So I'm, I like to think I'm open, humble, coachable, uh, specifically from people who have done bigger things than me. Where does asking questions fall into your philosophy? Right at the top. To me, curiosity is one huge activator of prey drive. And I want to know what you're doing, how you're doing it. Like, like I'm watching, like I may watch, I watched an interview this weekend, maybe 30 or 40 times, literally over the last three days, the same interview with two people over and over and over and over. And every time I did, I got a deeper awareness of, okay, now I'll see what he's doing. I didn't see what he was doing the first time. Oh, I didn't, I missed that the first time. I didn't hear that. And I'll go back and keep watching it until I, until I have a, a, a mastery of that concept. I don't just read a book. I devour a book. I don't just, watch one interview with the person. I don't just like, I go as deep as I possibly can. And what are you looking for? I'm looking for watching that interview 40, 40 times. What are you looking for? I'm looking for bigger think. I'm looking for a a better model. I'm looking for um, a better structure. I'm looking for the mindset of that person. Cause that's really what I'm trying to extract, right? If you're studying a Cardone or Milet or any of those people, what you're really trying to extract is what's this dude's mindset? How, how, is this, how did he get the confidence that he does? How does he take the action he does? How did he go from here to there? Because if you look at a guy like uh, you know, Cardone, he, he would even tell you for 30 years he was stuck at 3 or $4 million in his coaching business you know, because of his thought process, yeah. right? He, his own thought processes were keeping him stuck at 3 or $4 million bucks. So it was only during a time of a crisis that he expanded. So you could use the same correlation of what's happening right now. Like a lot of small business owners are going to freak out right now when they should be using this to look at their business model. And should be. We're talking about the pan the the pandemic right now. You're saying what is your perspective? How to look on it? Look at it. I think there's going to be an adversity. There's going to be an adversity every year, whether it be this virus or a recession or something that comes along. If you just go back every year, there's some major threat to your business, right? And it could be people. Last year for me, it was people, bad relationships, bad partnerships, um, evil people in the world. You know, there's going to be some threat all the time. When you have those threats, what you need to assess is what can I do to strengthen this business model? Like, see, I could take, if all of my speaking engagements were canceled, even for the rest of the year, we could go online with online conferences. We could do webinars. We could do... We could do private events where there's 10 to 15 people at a higher price point. Like there's all kinds of things we could do if we had to do them. Right. So, but, but times like this force you to think like, like, here's an idea. Uh, you know, kids are out of school right now 
And I've got a kid's academy, you know, all the things I used to teach kids. So, so now may be the time to push that kid's academy because I guarantee you, my wife is going to be looking for somewhere for my daughter to go or do something after about three weeks together. Is that in your total growth academy, like as a subcategory of education for kids? It's a separate academy right now called the greatness factor for kids. So it's not, it's not in the main growth academy. You can purchase it as a separate, a separate entity. Now the greatness academy that came from you getting asked all the time as a coach, how are you helping these kids in this way? Is that correct? Yeah. When moms and dads would drop their daughters off to me, I used to joke and say, you know, thank you for bringing your daughter to the greatness factory. <laughs> I love know, that. We, we, we manufacture greatness. And I really felt like that's what we were doing is we were putting people into this structure. Mm. And I was taking people that had some knowledge, some skill, some desire, some confidence. And I was teaching them how to play at a much higher frequency. I was teaching them through a, a set of systematic actions and daily interaction on how to perform at a much higher frequency. So, so when I started my coaching business and we started to have this training facility, I said, man, I want to call it, I first called it the Burt Center. And I thought, man, that, you know, who cares about the Burt Center? But, but people would want to go to the Greatness Factory. And, uh, and so I started calling my training facilities Greatness Factories. I love the language so much. It, it seems like you really use language to everyone's, to everyone's win. Uh, yeah. Has that been something you've been conscious of? Yeah, I was in a coaching program for three years called Strategic Coach, and Dan Sullivan is a is the genius, and he used to teach us give everything a unique name, and and make everything a unique process. So I look at how do I position by concept, how do I create a concept? Like if you look at my newest book called Single Digit Millionaire, I've got two books out right now. One called Single Digit Millionaire, which is about how you go how you get your net worth between one and ten million bucks. And it's kind of a play on words. Like, why would you want to be a single-digit millionaire when you could be a double-digit millionaire? Well, the reality is you can't be a double-digit millionaire until you get to be a single-digit millionaire. <laughs> so, so the book is about how to regular Joe, like me, a high school basketball coach. How did I go from being a high school basketball coach making $60,000 a year at the peak of my career to being a multimillionaire? How did I do it? What did I do? What was my thought process? What did I learn? How did I take a concept of writing a book and turn into a – uh, you know, multi-million dollar speaking uh, company or coaching company. Like, how do I handle adversity like this? What's my mindset on attack, attack mm. every day? Like, that's really what the new book uh, is about. How to get your net worth up. And if you get your net worth up, it's not an indicator of everything, but it is an indicator that you figured out how to sell something, how to produce an asset, how to take assets and produce more assets. So that's kind of the concept. Do you find yourself writing books on things that you're developing? Thoughts within yourself? Yes. I write books now on things that I think will significantly move the needle. I wrote a book for churches called The Accountable Church, which is a book about how do you keep people engaged in a Red Bull ADD society? How do you keep people yeah. coming back week after week? How do you how do you take what I've learned in coaching and, and apply it to the church world? Like, you know, I mean, I write books that I think will move a needle for a person. I'm writing a book right now on Pray Drive, how to activate the drive in your people, you know, and, and kind of codifying and scientifically codifying how you really motivate another person. How do you get them to a higher level? How do you flip the switch? You mentioned that curiosity is, is somehow involved in the prey drive thought process. What do you mean by that? Well, think about prey drive as an instinctual ability that's inside of you to go get something. It's got to be activated. Most Americans, it's not activated. There has to be a persistence to it, and there has to be an intensity to it. That, that these are activators of prey drive. Now, to activate that prey drive, there could be a number of things we have to do to activate it. 
One of those things is, in my opinion, is exposure, meaning you have exposed me to something new and I have a curiosity about me. Okay. I didn't know it existed and now I do know it existed. Like I grew up going, you know, vacationing in the same place every year, going to the same Best Western. I never stayed in a nice hotel. I never been on an airplane. I never been to New York City. I never been to Chicago. Never been to Miami, LA, none of these places, right? When I started going to these places and seeing there's a bigger world out there, there's more potential, there's more opportunity. I became curious. How do I tap into wow. it? I had never, you know, I, I had never flown private before until I started in the old days chartering planes before I purchased the plane I have now. You know, I had never flown that way. I never stayed in, I never eaten at a nice steakhouse. So when you go to these places, what it does is it activates something inside of you like, hey, I'd like to have some more of this. This is good. This, this is the way to live right here, right? <laughs> yeah. So you, you, when was the first time that you altered your environment to create curiosity in yourself? You, you know, I think I'm going to go back to when I was 25. That's when I really, really had a significant leap in my learning and growth. From 25 to 30, I had, a, had a, multiple things happen. My team... My team got beat at a critical moment, which forced me to look at myself as a coach. I went through a very bad breakup of a person I thought I was going to get married to. So I lost all of my confidence, was depressed for six months. But from 25 to 30, man, it's like a switch was flipped in me. I had a significant amount of learning. I had a significant amount of expansion in my life. I was hungry and curious and going going places and seeing things. And, and so that was really the, the moment in my life that I showed a significant growth. And like you said, circling back to the beginning of the conversation about conflict, is this part of how a pattern that you recognized over time, how conflict plays in, in our lives? Well, I want to, I want to, I want to show you the useful, the useful part of conflict. Yeah. The useful part of conflict is I used to think that, that, that passion came from desire. Like I'm passionate because I have a desire, right? Well, actually, we're most passionate and the most emotion that we have is when typically when we've come through something really tough, when there's been a lot of conflict, when there have a lot of conflict, you have a lot of emotion and the emotion is the fuel. It's the fuel for social change in the world. It's a fuel for when you've been screwed over and you never want it to happen again. It's the fuel for how you go do something big. Like I'll show you, you know, mm-hmm. like, like to me, real emotion comes through conflict. That's why even during this period right now with the virus out there, you're going to see two, in my opinion, two very distinct groups of people. You're going to be some people that say we were not given a spirit of fear and timidity that we're going to go and push and fight. And this ain't going to change anything for me. Okay. Maybe I have to stay at my house because they tell me I have to, but the reality is I'm not stopping because of some external factor. Then you're going to have some people that contract and go, no, 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 we can't go anywhere. We don't want to talk to anybody. Let's, let's just use this time to take off a couple of weeks and vacation and goof off and play around. And I think there's going to be a divide in our country between those two, those two people. Now I'm not saying that one's right and one's wrong. I don't know which side I'm on. I don't think I'm not going to live with the spirit of fear. I refuse to, um, I got a small business. I got employees. I got a wife. I got a daughter. I got a kid on the way. Like, man, I'm not going to retreat or contract. I will. It's going to be a fight, but I'm going to figure out a way to win. That's the way I look at it. Over time, working with coaches, coaching people, is that a pattern that you've seen in people that one that took that I'm not contracting, I'm moving forward. Is that part of a pattern that you've recognized? It seems like you've recognized a lot of patterns. That's part of your, yeah. 
teaching yes. ethos. Yeah, I think that's a great, I'm glad you said that and, and that you recognize that. I mean, I have the gift of association, meaning I can listen to you talk about something or watch one of your Facebook videos or listen to one of your podcasts and I can quickly associate, oh, I could use, Jay said something, boom, I could pick it up and use it right over here. So the pattern that I see is when small time people get scared, they contract and contract means cut something. Okay. Okay. We can't do this. Oh, I got to put my coaching on hold. Oh, we got to downsize. Oh, we got, we can't go out to dinner. Oh, we can't like, like small time people contract. Big time people will never contract. Now, big time people may retreat to attack, meaning they may step back and look at the whole board, come back and attack, but they never contract. And I'm not, and I'm not meaning spend money. A lot of people, when I say that go, Oh, what do you mean? Expansion, expansion of thought, expansion of effort expansion of, 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 of talking to your customers more expansion. That's what I mean. Big time people push small time. People contract. Here's another example. Small time people get sidetracked by anger, fear, disappointment, anxiety. Um, big time people use these emotions. They like, like they use when they get scared, they use it. They, they use it to push harder. When they get disappointed, they, they, they look at themselves and go, I'm not helping enough people. Because if I was helping more people, I wouldn't be disappointed by a few people. So reactive people take, let those emotions weigh them down. Right. And successful people take those emotions and use them to drive forward. And the distinction between contracting and, and planning for the future is that the thoughtfulness and the reflection that the successful person yeah. acts out. So they could look like they're contracting. However, you have to distinct. You're saying the distinction is what's their plan? What's their thoughts? Yeah. Last week, I mean, a few weeks ago, I was on a cruise ship and a guy came up to me and said, man, I've been wanting to do coaching with you for two years. I saw you speak at 10X. I've loved everything you did. I'm ready to go. It's a mid-level guy, you know, mid-age guy, you know, 40, 45, 50 years old. Then as soon as this virus happens, I I, got to put my coaching on hold. Like I got, I'm like, no, man, you need the coaching right now more than ever. Like two weeks ago, you weren't scared. Two weeks ago, you weren't contracting. Two weeks ago, you like all of a sudden one external thing happens and now you're back to contracting, which is the reason you need a coach to begin with, which is yeah. why you felt like you needed a coach two weeks ago or two years ago. So that's what I'm saying, though, is that mindset of contraction is when I get scared, I, I, I pull back and I just don't think. That's what big time people do. Big time people look for another angle. How can we create another profit center? How can we work this angle better? How can we engage with their customers more? How can I go ahead and release something to the out at the fall that I'm moving? That kind of thing. For our listeners, what what what, what are there are there some activities that they could do, they could act out to work through those emotions? You know, I think watch how I think I think what you're doing is right. Watch what big time people do when they get scared. Watch how they respond. Mm. Watch how they play offense. Watch how they capitalize, right? Watch how they maneuver about the world. Watch how they gravitate toward other big time people. They will find a way to make it work. Watch how they do it versus just sit back. I mean, there will be a lot of people in the United States that literally use this as a vacation. They've been looking for a reason to be lazy. They've been looking for a reason to, 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 to get out of a routine. They've been looking for a reason not to go to work. And they will use this to say, hey, we can't go to work. What are we supposed to do? Work from home? You know, they will use it. Well, those are people that are never going to get ahead in our society. It's a competitive world, man. you got to learn to thrive in a modern about, um, In your book, uh, well, your book, you have 14 books. So I'll tell you this one. Everyone needs a coach. You talked about 
the, uh, uh, it was an individual that was just the free agent, free agent. There you go. Free agent thought process. What is the free agent thought process? Cause you were talking about how it affects a team. You were talking about on a macro level. Yeah. That a free agent thought process. So if someone's listening to this, they, they, they have a family, they have friends, they work in a company They're They live in a country. Are they a free agent? Are they not a free agent? What does that mean? Free agent came from, you know, we live, we live in kind of a free agent nation. If you, if you, look at athletes that become free agents, you know, they kind of look out for themselves. You know, they're, 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 what, what's the biggest contract? There's really no loyalty. There's really no appreciation for opportunity they've been given. It's like, well, who can, who can pay me the most money? That's where I'm going to go. And they don't really appreciate the opportunities they have. I see it a lot in the real estate world because I coach a lot of real estate agents and they're all really just free agents. There's no chemistry. There's no bond. There's no teamwork. There's no culture. There's no nothing. It's just a bunch of free agents running around. Yeah. Then they wonder, then they wonder, well, why don't I have the success that I'd like to have? Cause I don't have accountability cause there's no structure cause there's no coaching like left to your own devices out in the world. You just contract and retreat. Listen, I, I dare say everybody that's ever made really bad decisions in their life, including me made those in isolation of other people. Like, like, like the worst thing you can do is isolate yourself from other people. You need accountability. You need structure. You need people asking you, what are you doing? You need people telling you to get in and make more calls. You need a person that, that is coaching and correcting you. We all do, right? Like, like all of us do. So, so I think this free agent concept is don't bother me. Don't ask me to come to anything. Don't ask me to get better. Don't ask me to listen to a podcast. Like it's just let me, leave me alone and let me do whatever I want to. And it's just a very selfish way to live. I mean, we live in an interdependent society. We need the help of other people. Listen, those employees on my team, that get that that make a salary every day, they can come in and think for if they want to. Hey, no, you know this is a good time. I don't have to work. You know, I'm still going to get paid. The salespeople down there who are on commission can't think like that. So why is it why is it fair for the why is it fair that the salespeople got to got to get in there and bust it, and the people that are on salary feel like they don't have to bust it? It's not fair. They both need to be busting it. Because, because the sales produce the revenue that pays the salaries. <laughs> yeah. So, so to me, it's all hands on board, man. We're all going to do things we may not want to do so we can all prosper together. So I, I have no, no tolerance for selfish people because I've been a coach my whole life. I have no tolerance for people that don't want to be team players. I have no tolerance for people that say, oh, I'm not going to help out because that's not my job. That's so-and-so's job. We are all in this together. And when you get that, then we're going to do big things. When you're coaching, let's say real estate, for example, but people listening to this, that they want, they want to be leaders. They want to have success in their life. What are some of the ingredients to end that free agent culture and create a team culture that you, that you coach on? Yeah. Great question. I believe people need to line up with other people that believe the same things they do. Okay. I I have beliefs, very strong beliefs core beliefs. You could call them my core values. Okay. And, and a value, a core value is what you believe at your core. Like I believe in coming in early and staying late. I, I believe in always uh, over delivering on what you promise. I believe in, in, in giving more value than you're giving in cash. I believe uh, when a person asks you to go one mile to go two. like that's the way I, I believe. Now, if you work with me and you don't believe those things, then you and I are not going to get along very well. It's not going to work. So what I'm doing when I'm recruiting people to my culture is I'm going out into the marketplace saying, this is what I believe. Now, who else believes the same things I do? 
You know, like if you look at the people I coach, we call them monster producers. Look at how they, most of them are handling this, this adversity, this setback. Look, they're like, ain't stopping me. I'm working. I'm doing it. Right. Then you got people over here going, oh my God, I can't believe you'd say that. Well, they don't believe the same things I do. And that's okay. Doesn't make me right and them wrong. It just means I have a very strong set of beliefs. So when it comes to building culture and organization, all conflict will come between two people when they don't believe the same things. So, so what you voice, what you believe. Absolutely. Consistently, frequently. And then I say, if you don't believe it, don't join Coach Bird's team. If you do believe it, then come on. Let's, you know, I believe if you're not hitting your sales goals, you shouldn't go home at five o'clock at night. You should stay an extra hour, come in an hour early. I don't think you should just hightail it out of here when you're not hitting your targets, right? Because mm-hmm. that's not what I do. I believe in planning your weeks on Sunday. I believe in sitting down every night and mapping out your next day. I believe in time systems and structure. I don't believe in chaos. So, so to me, I'm trying to build people around me that believe the same things I do. What are some of the, are there, are there, um, are there under other, other philosophies that drive that belief? Like, let's say you take someone on that does believe, let me, let me, I'll say this instead. Let's say you take someone on that does believe that. How do they grow that belief? Even they greater. Stay, yeah. They get around, they get inspired. They get exposed to something new. They see the fruits of their labor. They, they see, I, I equate it like this. When people come and work with me on my team, and I got this hard driving culture, right? Expectation. We're going to push hard. I'm a coach. I'm tough. And many people have never worked that hard. The people that come and work for me say, man, we never worked this hard at our last job. We never had these expectations. We never worked this many hours. We never worked nights and weekends. And I say, well, well, you were playing in the minor leagues. Like, like I'm showing you how to play in the major leagues, man. You know, Charles Barkley, when he, when, he, when he was in high school, he was bigger than everybody else. So he played and he scored. And then he went to college and he was bigger than everybody else. And he played and he scored. And then he got out of shape and overweight. And then he went to the NBA and he sat on the bench. And Moses Malone came to him and said, look, you're never going to play in the NBA being fat and out of shape. Never. Okay? So you're going to have to get your buddy in gear if you want to play in the NBA. Mm. But he said, I'll work with you every day. So he, Moses Malone worked with him every day. He went from 290 to 250. Then he went from sitting on the bench to playing. And Charles Barkley's point was, you can get away with being fat and out of shape in college. You can get away with it in high school, but you can't get away with it in the NBA. <laughs> okay? Because there's only 300 players in the whole NBA. Wow. So my point to my people is I'm looking for Navy SEALs, top gun, mm. best of the best. I'm not looking for average, mediocre, below average, bad attitudes. I can get that anywhere. I, so I tell my team, do you want to be a Navy SEAL or do you want to be average? That's the kind of people I'm looking for. Does education play a role in this? You, 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 you went, you learned in, in even at university. And, you know, by the way, I, I saw that you, uh, congratulations, you got an award from your alumni for yep. basically being a badass. I mean, there was a whole thing about it. Yep. Um, but how important does education play in that role? There, there's two. I mean, I think there's more well, ways to define education first. Let me ask that because yeah, there's I a lot of ways to define education. That's right. I think there's formal and informal education. Okay. I had formal training through college and education, right? But there's also a lot of informal training I went through workshops, seminars, mentorships, coaching programs. And that is the deficient part. Like, like I see people that come out of college today that can't sell, can't show up on time, don't have any emotional toughness, don't know. So I think by the time my daughter is, is in college, there will be privatized education or specialized mm. education, meaning 
if my daughter wants to be a professional horse riding champion, which she thinks she does, then I would pay the money for her to study under the number one person in the world. Same money I would pay the university. I would just pay that person and say, wow, that's my, daughter's go- my daughter's going to study under you for four years because it's what she wants to be. Like, like if you want to speak or coach or build a million-dollar coaching business or $10 million, then you may say, I want you to go learn an intern under, under uh, Coach Burt. You're going to spend three years with Coach Burt, watching him, listening to him, seeing how he sales, seeing how he speaks. How does he prepare? How does he do webinars? Like that's going to be your education. Did you take your formal education seriously? My like, first degree. So I'm just yeah. Yeah, my first degree, I didn't. My first, I mean, I wanted to coach. So it was how fast can I get in there? Then how fast can I get out of there? That that was my first. I mean, I I had I did very poorly, and then I actually. Uh, went back and got my master's. I got more serious about it. And then I actually went four more years um, to pursue a doctorate. And wow. I went all the way to the end, got all, took all the credits, took all the classes, and then didn't do my dissertation. So I got to the very end. And I'm like, why, why, not, why not I need to do the dissertation? Like I've, I've sucked everything out of this that I can. You know, I went to college really for nine years, over 350 college credit hours. And I what got better. As I, I got better as I got older. If you were to write it today, what would it be? Write what now? The dissertation? Yeah, what would it be? It would have to be in, in the activators of prey drive, how every person on the planet needs to know how to activate their own drive. I love and, it. And I would break that down to a science. And, you know, there's a lot of theory out there about motivation. Oh, yeah. There's very little theory about prey drive, which is prevalent in animals. Uh, and I think humans have a prey drive. Nobody on the planet is talking about that except me. And I am trying to codify that to make it, to, to show you, this is how you activate it in a person. These are deactivators of it. These are activators of it. We're actually coming out with an assessment to a prey drive assessment that can measure how much drive a person has when they come to work for you. Wow. So uh, it, some of those ingredients, what were they? So think about ingredients like this. Competition is an activator of prey drive. Fear of loss is an activator of prey drive. Environment is an activator of prey drive. Um, uh, Exposure is an activator of prey drive. Compensation can be an activator. Uh, Embarrassment. All of these things help a person find another gear, flip the switch. And it's different for different people. Could be a combination of two or three of those things. In our culture today, how important is that this type of conversation? Number one thing. It's the number one thing. Listen, I can teach you all the sales tactics in the world. We can go through the selling system. We can work on follow-up. But at the end of the day, it's just a get up, to get up and go get it today and, and remove considerations, which are internal thoughts that prohibit external actions. A consideration is I'm scared to do it or, you know, like right now, all of the considerations that are happening, you know, and, 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 I, and I'm not saying they're not, wor- they're not worthy considerations, but they are con- the considerations, you know, they're internal thoughts. Okay. Like I said, let's go back to what I said in the beginning. All I can do for me is, is take care of me. All I can do is get my body in the healthiest shape that I can get it in. All I can do is try to build the strongest immune system. I can all I can do is all I can do. Right. Like, like that's the way my mind, my mind thinks let's focus on what we can control. What impact has social media had in your, your business and life? That's positive. Uh, it's all been positive. It's allowed me to reach more people. I mean, I love YouTube. Because I can, I can literally go inside the brain of a person and study that person for hours and hours through interviews. These podcasts that, like this, this is why I never turn down a podcast. I mean, I very seldom say no to a podcast. I don't care if they got seven people listening. 
because 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 that gives me a chance to articulate my philosophy, which mm-hmm. I have spent 25 years cultivating. Like I, I want to accentuate the differences between me and some of my competitors. Like, what do I know that they don't know? What have I done that they haven't done? Like very few of them have actually been coaches and, or, you know, they may write books. What they may say that. Yeah. What do you mean by that? I mean, I mean, I've actually been a championship coach. Like I've actually won a championship. I've actually had to build a, a national championship program. I've actually had to take people from all walks of life, all socioeconomic backgrounds, all dynamics, all ethnicities, put them into a team and try to win with them. Where, you know, just because I write a book doesn't make me an expert. I mean, I mean I'm looking for a demonstrated capacity. The books are just breakdowns of my philosophies on winning, but I have actually won at the highest level. So that's really the difference between me and a lot of people. I mean, that's what separated me from anybody that spoke at 10X. I was the only pure coach who spoke at 10X. I mean, all those people have their niches, yeah. but, but they're, they're not coaching people every day like I am. The, this is something that you started at 15 years old. Mm-hmm. Did you face adversity with individuals that were older saying you couldn't? I'm asking selfishly because, yes, I've always faced that. Like having to va- validate myself, even before the question came up, I got myself caught in that habit, me personally. Yeah. For, it forced me to want to actually not i think i've been practicing social distancing since i was <laughs> seven <laughs> they, they just now made it a corona thing but yeah 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 you know, you're a brilliant man and that's obvious to anyone that is superior intelligence what um what was that like yeah when i was 15 i didn't I, here's what i tell a lot of people I, I personally believe you don't have to sit in a room and find your why and find your purpose and then go do something. I actually think many times your purpose finds you through pursuing something. I didn't know I was going to be a championship coach. I didn't know I wanted to be a coach until I started coaching. And once I started coaching at 15, I knew as much as a 15 year old kid can know, like all I knew is I love this. I enjoy this. Like that. this is fun. Like, like the world is rewarding me, like we're winning and the kids like me and, and we're, we're like, like, so to me, I actually think many times you find, you don't find your purpose, your purpose finds you. And it, but, but it never finds you when you're just sitting around doing nothing. Like you need to be working the muscle. You Got need it. to be pursuing something. You need to be trying something. So although I can understand why Simon Sinek has been very popular with find your why, I actually think some of the top people I coach maybe don't even know their why. Other people may know it, but what yeah. they know is just how to get up and go get it. Like some people, you can't have something you can't put in them and you can't take it out of them. Could there be both? Well, maybe that's your dissertation. Yeah, absolutely. There could be both. I just know for me personally, like I didn't find it or found me. If it could fall under the either or fallacy. Absolutely. Like Simon yeah. says, I mean, that's funny. Simon says. Yeah. 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 Start why. And other people say, just go for it. Could they Go be do something in different form? Work the muscle in different ways and you'll figure out like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I, I'm su- I suck over here. I really enjoy this. And then there will be kind of a refinement. You know, once you, I talk about this in the new book, single digit millionaire. The first thing we got to do is find our primary skill. Once we find our, if you look at any of the greats that are out there, all of them have a primary hard skill. Mm. And that primary hard skill, um, this primary hard skill is, is 
some skill that refined over a long cycle of time, right, will produce at a high frequency, will be rewarded by the world. They'll get a first primary, primary skill. They'll, Say they'll that again. Order for that. Yeah, the, because there will be demand. If that skill solves a problem for other people, or what will happen is there will be demand for that skill. Then there will be uh, networks of people who want that skill. Then there can be exchanges, structures of exchange around that. But if you don't have a primary skill, you're really vulnerable in today's world because you're a nice to have. You're not a must have. If times get tough and budgets get cut and people start contracting, the first people to go will be the people that have very basic skills. The people who are always in demand have very strong primary skills. They can sell. They can connect. They can communicate. They can solve a problem. That makes them in high demand in the world. Like if I left coaching today and I wanted to go be an insurance agent, I could make a million dollars a year selling insurance. I could sell real estate and make a million dollars a year. I could, you know, there's a lot of things I could do. I don't have to just do this. Okay. The primary skill gives me options. When you, when you have limited skill, you limit your options. So develop a primary skill, no matter what. Find it, refine it hone it, nurture it, typically over long cycles of time, 10 years, 10 to 15 years. You see, the best people- Activity helps you find it. Yeah. 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 My book, Say No Practice Life, will help you find it. There's a book called Unique Ability that'll help you find it. Some people may say Strengths Finders will help you find it. Um, so, So there are books out there and programs that will help you find this, but I would tell you nine out of 10 people that I work with have not found it. Could, could people have found- a skill to give them enough pride not to hire a coach? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, to me, finding a skill and hiring a coach, though, are, are separate things. Like, so, so yes. Well, if someone develops a skill so high level that they develop their own tribe of people that admire them, couldn't that actually hurt them? So if we circle back to the beginning of the conversation. Yes, it could. Those people that make a million bucks a year, they had that super skill enough to yes. be the false idol of their worshipers. And then right. they meet you and I agree by the, like with your, I, uh, uh, everyone needs a coach is, is one of the most important messages I believe in the 21st century. Yep. But there will be some people who don't believe it or some people say, you know, it's like if you listen to Cardone, he, he, he will tell you never take advice from a millionaire. Well, if you're not making a million bucks a year and you're not a millionaire, the millionaire at least knows something that you don't know. Okay. Now, now if you become a millionaire, then it may yeah, be. That sounds like Mao, you know, Mao Zedong would agree with that. King George. I think the American founders, they didn't agree with that advice. And they created 13 colonies. I mean, that advice actually contradicts the very fabric of our nation's culture. Mm. It contradicts the very fabric of our nation's culture because we're founded on a a democratic republic of freedom of speech and to be able to articulate our points. And when we don't listen to the, to the poor man, we become France that gets ransacked and ripped apart. Or, right. Like, so I, yeah, that advice definitely is uh, <laughs> backwards as hell based on like just science and whatnot. Yeah. I, I mean, no, I'm saying yeah, that. Uh, I can make it simple. Just reach up to somebody who's doing something you haven't done. I mean, like I said, it's all, it's all relative, I guess is what I'm saying. And the relativity of it is, you know, if you've done something I haven't done, let's say you have this podcast and it's successful and it's more successful than my podcast, then you know something I don't know. Okay. And so in my world, the way I think I'm open, I'm open to anything closed off to nothing. If you, if you said coach are seven ways you could do your podcast better than what you're doing it, I'd say, okay, tell me, man, I'm, I'm open to it. All right. Now, would I pay you to learn those seven? Potentially. 
if I thought it could help me make more money, then I would pay you to learn the seven. So, but, but some people said I'm here. Like I had a guy tell me once I'm making $250,000. I live a good life. I don't want to work hard. I'm lazy. Like, like I'm, I'm, I don't know how I help you. Cause if you don't have a desire to go from 250 to 500, then what, what are you, what are you looking for from me? Like I'm here to help you expand and grow. You know, now if you want to keep more from the 250, that may be your thought processes, but I would tell you 250 ain't enough. Just like a million dollars is not enough. You know, you, in times like this, you really figure out how much money you got to produce. You got to produce enough money to carry, carry you through times that are unexpected. Now I, I have learned that in running a business for 12, 13 years, whatever you got ain't enough because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You, you need enough to carry you through the adversity. What are some ways that you, you, you act out or some, yeah, some, some ways of activity that you develop, you keep developing over yourself. You keep leveling up when you're the super coach. I think, I think it's constant recreation, reinvention. I use my weekends to recreate, to reinvent, to rejuvenate, to come in better on Monday than I was on Friday. Like most people in America use their weekends to escape. They don't use their weekends to recreate themselves. They don't come in this week better. Like I pick one, like I told you, I watched the same interview this week. We'll get maybe 20 or 30 times. And, and uh, I guarantee you most people wouldn't watch an interview 20 to 30 times this weekend. You know, I, that, that's not how they spend their weekends. Okay. They spend their weekends escaping from the realities of their week. And I used to do that from 20 to 30, man, I wasted time and weekends and that's a regret that I have. So now I spend the weekends rejuvenating, recreating. How can I be better this week? Reading the book, what got you here won't get you there. Trying to find my weaknesses. So you you invest a, a time with yourself. Absolutely, a Where lot of time. Start with that. Do you recommend? Well, I take one day off a week, typically Saturday, and on that day I spend rejuvenating. And my my strategy is to rest my 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 body, mind, heart, and spirit, and to grab data, grab information, watch interviews, learn something new. Right. Yeah. Like that's, that, that's, that's what I spend my weekends doing where I used to spend my weekends in bars and drinking and chasing women and, you know, things that weren't as fruitful as what I do today. And I think that's part of my mindset today. I want to be a high performance person. That's a decision I've made. And to be a high performance person, there's certain actions you got to take to do that. What are those actions? I think the way you spend your weekends, the way you prepare for your weeks, I spend two to four hours every Sunday preparing for my week. The way I sit down each night and look at my wins and losses and come in the next day prepared. The way I have the discipline that I do to get up in the morning, to work out, to, 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 to get to the weight I want to get to, to get to the energy I want to get to. Like It's a discipline of showing up when other people won't show up. It's a consistency that other people don't have. And that's really what I'm trying to instill in my students that I coach is because most People are inconsistent. They cannot stick to a habit. They cannot work the muscle. They cannot, they cannot remain in a dynamic posture. And when they get scared, they contract. And so that's the opposite of what I believe, <laughs> okay, uh, which is why they need a coach. They need a person to keep them in a dynamic position. Real estate industry. We both do business in the real estate industry. What is your perspective on that industry now in the current state of technological change? I, I think I think it's just like every industry. I think there's creative destruction. And if you are not creatively destroying your own self, then the market will creatively destroy you. That means other people are looking at your model and they're they're trying to destroy your business model. 
And if you don't creatively destroy your own business model, mm. you, should, you shouldn't wait for somebody else to try to destroy your model. You should be thinking, what have I got to do to destroy my own model? What have I got to do to disrupt my own business? Because that's going to happen. Now, I don't know that, that real estate agents will be obsolete because there still will be parts of the country, I'm sure, that people want to go look at a house, all those type things. But there will be a lot of um, uh, unprepared agents that have never been trained properly that will be that will be obsolete they're in they're in a real danger i got time for one more question jay oh we're done i thought we had 90 minutes oh okay okay i had i had that okay say again well yeah so i i was under the uh presumption that it was 90 minutes that you agreed oh, to do. i'm sorry okay all right i had it down for an hour i've got to do one more thing can we come back and do part two uh well, no, but that's okay. Yeah, that, that would break my uh, my values. I wanted to unpack that conversation around the uh, around the the individual that is only open to individuals that have succeeded more. It just seems to completely contradict the premise of a coach, which I do agree that you're one of the few people that coach, and it just contradicts everything that that really you stand for. So think about it this way: when I when I said that, here's what I, here's what I mean. Like meaning that's something that's, that's said a lot to coaches. Yeah. You've overcome it. Like I had, that's how I do my work is I work with organizations of their corporate culture. All my clients between 45 and 65 and very, very, very wealthy people. And that doesn't mean that I have not the ability to educate myself and be an advisor. For example, the president is advisors on all levels. And you know, that's why we don't have a dictatorship. So like that, that one thing we, we got to unpack that because I, I think that's part of how you've been able to, successfully be that coach that is not just says they're a coach yeah i think okay so that all right so let's a good, that's a great point all right so think of it, it this way so important of, of it's really what has made you you yeah. yeah because i think if there's a 25 let, let's say this let's say i'm coaching a 25 million dollar company or 50 million or a billion for that matter and i haven't produced a billion dollar company or I don't have a $25 million company. That still doesn't mean that I'm not a specialist in an area of activating the drive in people. You know, I think that's a point you're making, right? Is that, is it just because I haven't created a billion dollars, right? That's coaching. Everybody. Yeah. So I'm, I'm rearticulating what you, what you, what you're stand for, but yeah. So, so basically what I'm saying there is, is, I can have a special skill set or a primary skill. Let's just say activating the prey driving people. And just because I haven't built a $50 million company doesn't mean I'm not qualified to go in and help those people perform at a higher level. Now, some people are going to say, why would you take advice from somebody? You know, if you run a billion dollar company, you need to take advice from somebody who's run a $10 billion company. Right. And I do get that. But so I think someone that would say that that's closed and doesn't know what a coach is because isn't a coach supposed to ask questions listen and guide someone down a path and yes. what do they need to have accomplished to be able to actually think if a coach is there to help someone think that's what you do it just sounds yeah. like neurotic pride of someone that's built a lot of skill that's right that's, that's able right. to be closed off because they have their cult but the difference between a cult and a culture is truth and that just seems to be a breakdown of the fundamental principle of yeah. human nature that yes. i uh, believe that you act out through your, through your work. Like you've changed so many people's lives because you've helped them be open. Yeah. And I don't think the, the coaching is never going to work if you're not open, if you're a closed person, like, like when I first started coaching, I was coaching a $50 million 
Uh, the guy's probably worth 50 million bucks, right? And I was literally just retired from athletic coaching. But he had lack of organization. He had all kinds of fear. He, he had personal issues, he, right? Like, like, like I think I brought some stability. That was the structure I brought to him, mindset and stability. And although he earned a lot more money than I did at that time, I, I was able to help him during, a, during the recession because he was at least open. Like he saw the value of a coach. So to me, I, I agree with your point is that a good coach has a very special skill set. And they, they like you, if you come in and help people with their culture, you have a very special skill set to come in and help build this uh, culture of production, right? Because that's what you know how to do. That's what you do. And so the more you work the muscle, the better skilled you're at it. And there may be people out there that earn more income or whatever, but that doesn't mean well, that I could be worth one penny if I'm able to think and you're unable to think and society right. actually conditioned you not to think because you become so damn successful materially and you've built your cult of tribalism and you're not open, you're a miserable person that just wants to die. Right. So you're, you're actualized, but not aware. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way of looking at it. <laughs> dissertation because people need that information. Yeah, I agree. And then, then that contradicts everything coaching is because if a, if a coach is only coaching people under them, then the coach is ironic because yeah. they're not actually listening. They're talking. Right. Yeah. It's good. This is not commonly talked about in our personal development culture. Right. I believe it's an ironic culture, meaning it's like a burning firehouse. Mm. Burning firehouse is on fire. Yes. Why? It's supposed to put out fires. Well, right. that one thought cre- is, is a problem in our culture. And I think in your work, you solve to it because you're obviously a super brilliant man that at a very young age saw things other people couldn't see. But that comes with a lot of trauma because individuals that are unaware and skilled are basically mini dictators that will project their self-hate on you or me. Like I'm speaking about my own autobiography. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I, this is an important point because you are a super coach, America's coach. And it's like virtue can only deconstruct if we are not open to those that are David. Hmm. Goliath lost for a reason. That story is so so inculcated in our human conditions for the very fact to even be close to someone that has a different opinion or has quote unquote, nothing contradicts the very fabric of our democratic Republic. Yeah. So, you know, that, that's where like, when I, uh, I, that's why I love your content. I love your work, especially that everybody needs a coach because that's something that I, after interviewing 220 or so humans for a, hours and digging into their unconscious and unpacking it psychologically based on their language structures i have seen the pattern of actualized and unaware that's an interesting paradigm to be actualized and unaware but i could see it you know there's a there's there's a concept of having awareness of something but not having a deep awareness you said yeah there's a concept of having an awareness of something but not having a deep awareness of something. And to me, that's a whole nother level, right? It's like watching the interview 40 times, watching it one time or reading the book one time is an awareness, watching it 40 times and breaking it down and using it and teaching it and it becoming part of your fabric is a deep awareness. And, uh, but I agree with you. I think you can materially produce something in the world, but, but not actualize your own potential. I mean, I've seen people that's produced a lot of money that are not even close to reaching their potential or actualizing, right? And, and or may not have any interest it's like in it. Like being on a like, treadmill, uh, the mouse on the wheel. 
that wheel never stops spinning. And if that individual is become so perceivably successful that they will listen to no man, they contradict faith in any, and it doesn't matter what faith it is. It doesn't matter what, whose faith it is. They contradict their faith. They basically have become a man God in their own mind. Mm-hmm. They become a man God in their own mind. Cause think about it. If the individual discuss, cause you, you said this art like beautifully. If an individual dis- develops that skill, that skill can be used as a weapon or a shield, a weapon to their competitors and a shield to their critics. Mm. Mm-hmm. And now if they're only listening to people at a higher, a supposedly higher worth of them, well, who's to say that the people at a higher worth don't suffer from the same syndrome, the same symptoms, mm-hmm. that neurotic pride. Mm. Mm-hmm. So then they're just talking at each other. It's like they're tied to each other. And then David basically, David just comes and kicks Goliath's ass eventually because Goliath was never open to collaboration. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's what I believe based on your literature and, and, and um, your book, what it stands for. That's what it's all about. And, and together, p- people that do coach and actually understand what it is, if we don't speak up, we're screwed. Yes. Because I love this in your book. You talked about, uh, I just said it earlier, the, the individual that is a, an independent, say, say it again, they're independent contract. No, they're a free, free agent. agent. Free agent. What do they stand for? Nothing. Yeah. Selfishness. That's what they stand for. They, <laughs> isolation. You know, I mean, not interdependence, but those very people need other people. Like, like, right? Like, how big can you really get being one person? <clears throat> how many people can you really help with that mindset? Like, if it's lonely at the top, what does that say about the internal character of the individual? And then what does that say about our culture to actually all believe that it is lonely at the top or it should be lonely at the top? That means that the person isn't able to actually listen to other people. Right. And and if it's lonely at the top, how many people have you really helped? Like I get people feel isolated when they get to certain levels or they think it's certain patterns. I mean, I understand they feel isolated sometimes, um, especially if they're helping lots of people. But it's not, they're not really isolated if you're helping a lot of people. If you get to the top, there should be a lot of people for you to interact with, right? Because you've helped so many people. So I think there's a difference between feeling isolated from people and feeling lonely at the top. If you, unless you've done it the wrong way. I mean, unless the ladder is leaning against the wrong wall, right? Unless you've climbed the ladder and it's leaning versus the wrong wall. That's why it feels lonely at the top because you really kind of burnt bridges and there's a lot of collateral damage and you really hadn't helped that many people. And that's why you feel... That's why you feel isolated from people is, is you got there, but maybe you got there the wrong way. When you're talking to business owners, what are some of the, what are some of the things that they say that there are their problems? Revenue, uh, staff, employees, um, trying to get, trying to get everybody on the same page. Um, no selling structure, inconsistency, like, like most business owners lack structure. So they live and, you know, one definition of confusion is randomness in motion, right? And that's really what they have. They have a lot of randomness in motion. They don't have clear time systems. They don't have structures put in place. They don't have managers that know how to coach and develop talent. So they're just, they have all these problems every day, right? That's why most small business owners only bring in, you know, what, 47,000 bucks a year. 
They, 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 they don't make up, they don't bring in hundred thousand dollars because they don't have any structure. They don't understand the purpose of the business. They don't, they don't have a selling system. They don't have a follow-up plan. They don't know how to extract referrals. They don't know how to become people of interest or market themselves. So they just, it's hard, man. It's just hard and they struggle and there's no competitive advantage. What do you think the next five years will be in the personal development industry? I think it's going to grow. I think personal development is growing at a very rapid rate. I do think there's a lot of coaches coming into the industry that are not qualified. I think it's going to hurt the industry when people sign up for a coach that's not that good. It doesn't change. It doesn't affect their life. Then they're going to never sign up for a coach again. I do see that as a problem. Uh, But I do see the personal development space continuing to grow. Although nine out of 10 Americans read less than one book a year. So it's, you know, but, but, but you got personal development people that are, that are really getting it, that are being enlightened, that people are being enlightened to certain things. So I think it's going to grow, but there are some dangers that come along with that growth. How do you consume books? Do you like, what's your process? Audio, video? No, I like reading. I, I, I physically like filling the book, taking notes. Like, like I like the old fashioned way of reading, writing in there, going back to it. Right. And I do listen some audio, but I really absorb content well when I'm watching videos, when I'm watching interviews on YouTube, when I'm, I can extract the mindset of a person. So if I like a book, I'll go watch all the interviews on that person. You know, I want to get to know that person. I want to go deeper in that person. And ultimately in today's world, I'm lucky enough to t- many times do events with those people. So, you know, it's, it's such yeah. a cool many times. I mean, people I grew up admiring and reading their books. I'm now doing events with. How do so you build your network that way? And so quickly. I think, I, think, I think speaking at 10X uh, put me on the map in a number of ways. It was allowed me to showcase my abilities in a different way. And I, I, I earned the respect of a lot of those people. They're like, this dude's good. Nobody knows who he is, but he's really good. And so because of that, I, because of that, I, I went back to those people. And I said, man, I really like, like when I do something with you, I may say, Jay, let's come back and do something else together. You see what I'm saying? Like, like, like the door was like open. Yourself extending the, like proactively being proactive and building relationships. Absolutely. Absolutely. To me, strategic partners, like, like after I go back and watch this with you and I, I may come back to you and go, Hey, there's two ways we can work together. There's two things we can do. Like, I don't want it to be a one and done type thing. Like I want to build real relationship with people. I want to help people advance their mission in life. And so what's happened is when I spoke at 10 X, it opened me up to this international market. And, and I, I became good friends with Tim Grover and Tim's story and these people. And it's like, hey, we should do something together. And then we did something and it was good. Like you can't do something and it suck and it'd be bad. And then we want to do more things. Like they, they started to see me as a legitimate player in the personal development space. And, and for me to have my own niche, that's different than their niche. Yes. So, so, so then we begin to say, okay, let's, let's complement each other here. You've got this and I got this and let's put it together and see if it works. And sometimes it works and sometimes it don't, but we don't know. So I spent a good percentage of my time, Jay, going back to strategic partners, going back to people I've been on podcasts with, trying to do events with them because I think it expands our networks. How important is that to a person's success, both personally and business? I think it's it's the game, man. It's a game set and match. Like like people of interest. I think you. I don't know if you've read my book, Person of Interest. This one. Not yet. Just the, you, everyone needs a coach. But you would really like person of interest because person of interest goes into the characteristics and ingredients of big time people. And one of the characteristics of a big time person is, is um, their networks. They have deep entrenched networks. They spend time. 
They have top 25, 25 deep relationships. They spend time cultivating bigger networks. They, they understand the value and importance of moving your ball down the field, adding value to your life, being an asset to you. Like they really, really get those things. So most people of interest have deep networks. What's the 25 mean? The 25 people. Yeah. It's where you go out into the world. You identify with 25 people that, that you like, they like you, you believe in them. They believe in you. They are willing to expand their influence or extend their influence to you. Many, they become referral partners. Uh, they open doors for you that you couldn't get into. You nurture that relationship with the frequency. So there's a high touch, high frequency. And I use that strategy. It's one of my best strategies, 25 power relationships. And I'm always looking to add more people to that. So I may go, Jay needs to be in my top 25. So-and-so needs to be in my top 25, which means I increase my frequency with you. I increase my reach with you. I open doors for you. You open doors for me. We push each other to the top. Uh, how does someone listening to this right now think or decide these are my tw- top 25? There's questions they're asking themselves about that, about people. Yeah. They got to believe in you. They have to have the propensity and, and, and want to, to promote you. They have to have networks of people. Like there's a big difference between a friend and a top 25 advocate. You know, I've got friends that don't promote me, don't open doors for me, don't bring new people. They're friends. That's okay. We can just be friends. We can go to sporting events together and we can talk about kids and family and life, but they're not in my top 25. My top 25 are for people who, who we have a, we have a, a bond. We're going to help each other get to the top. I'm going to be there for you. You're going to be there for me. It's going to be an incredibly strong relationship and it's going to be fruitful. We're going to feed into each other's lives. So business collaboration as well. And does that spread like wildfire? In today's world, it does. In an Instagram world, because if I do something with Tim's story, he may introduce me to 500,000 more people. Right, right. Me, yeah. me, my relationship with Cardone got me on stage at 10X, which opened me up to 10,000 more people. So, so in today's world, in the old days, it was, I know Jay, Jay introduces me to three people. Okay. Now it's, I know Jay and Jay introduces me to his whole network of people. And that's a bunch of people. So, so that's, that's, Going that's deep is exponential, like never before because of a positive way to look at social media. Absolutely. Social media allows a guy like you to watch me on YouTube and not even know me, but really do know me. It allows you, it allows people to watch this interview or listen to this interview with you and I to go deeper on a philosophy. And if it helps X number of people, then it was valuable. One of the reasons I loved your book, because you personally narrated it. And I already had a a great affinity to you because of the mutual friends that we have that only say loving things. Shout out to Brian Covey and Bradley, of course, loving things about your character. We are going to do hopefully my uh, part two, seven, eight and nine and 10, because (laughs) I'm going to bring in more questions. My last question to you is this. Sure. Everything that you've learned, since May of 2008, hmm. you go back, you talk to Mike. He's 16. Yep. He's an assistant coach. You got a minute. Everything you learned since May of 2008. What are you talking to Mike about? Be an ambassador. I spent a, I be, be an ambassador for other people. Be a connector. Like I spent 20 to my 30 being selfish, self-absorbed, put, put, pushed to win. And I didn't win, but I go back and I could have been so much better. I could have been a better team player. I could have been a true ambassador where people looked at me and said, that's the way it should be done right there. That dude's intense, but he's positive. He's intense and he's got substance. Like, like, so the young, the old coach Bert would tell the young coach Bert, 
go back, go back and do it the right way all the way through. That's what, that's what the old coach Burt would tell the young coach Burt. Thank you so much for today, Mike. How can people find you? Please shout out every which way. Yeah, they can follow me on Instagram at Michael Burt or search Coach Michael Burt. I do spell it M-I-C-H-E-A-L. Uh, my mother spelled it a little bit different. They can get my books on Amazon. They can go to CoachBurt.com. I would love to see an event. I would love to see, you know, us do. I, I would love to see people at events. I would love to see people at our online stuff. I would love to interact with your audience. So thank you. I mean, you're an intense dude. I like that about you. You know, you got a, you got a, you got a positive intensity about you that I can tell you're very hungry very serious and you probably ask as good of questions as as anybody that's ever asked me questions on an interview i mean you made me work today and i appreciate that thank you well our our purpose is to uncover the genius of our guest with the goal to make the audience curious because that's what i believe when people read to think write to develop listen to hear the unsaid and speak to let go they develop more value for themselves than others i personally spent most of my life intensely an asshole Yes. Social distancing myself from people. And when I shut up and started listening, they're asking questions, which I would argue is actually the only way to prove listening versus understanding. Yep. I, 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 I attracted people that I actually liked. And I really like you. You're yeah, a super smart and uh, a very amazing teacher. Like thanks. the way you put curriculum together and all that. And uh, what I found is the most, usually it's the most obscure, brilliant people that move the world, but no one knows who they are. Yes. You've made it, you've been, you know, a lot of people know who you are, Mike. I'm really excited for this. Thank you so much for investing the time. And uh, thank you everyone for listening. And we'll see you next time on Culture Matters Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Culture Matters Podcast. Remember to read to think, write to develop, listen to hear what is unsaid and speak to let go. If you want to dig deeper, check out 30 Days of Thought on Amazon.